Thank you for downloading this podcast from the Traverse Theatre Edinburgh. We now join the theatre's associate director and your host, Hamish Peary. Welcome to Travcast, which is our writer's salon where I get the amazing opportunity to interview writers about the craft of writing and what it means to be a writer. And today, I'm thrilled to be sitting in front of Rob Drummond, who first broke onto the theatrical scene with his play 16 in 2008, and is a performer and writer in equal measure. His plays include Rob Drummond Wrestling, and this year's Fringe Hit and Herald Angel winner, Bullet Catch. Rob, thank you for being here. Pleasure, yeah. Delighted to come. Um, so first thing I want to sort of talk about which really excites me about some of your work, especially your work that involved because you write sort of straight plays, dare I say mm, the word yeah. straight, what that means, I don't know what that means. And <laughs> yeah, I don't think I know anymore. <laughs> yeah, good, <laughs> and it, we shouldn't. I don't think yeah. we need to put things on labels. Do you yeah, know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah. Writing is writing wherever you sit, I yeah. think, which is really exciting. Yeah. In your work that you perform in, mm. There's this quite exciting thing that it almost feels like you've set yourself a project. Yeah. What's that about? Where does that come from? Well, I don't look at plays in terms of whether I'm whether I'm going to be a playwright, whether I'm going to be a performer, whether I'm going to be a director. I look at them as um, ideas and concepts. And when a when an idea or a project comes to my mind, it's it's my job to serve that idea as best I can. And that sometimes means I'm writing it and sitting it in, a, in a room for a month with a typewriter, <laughs> um, laptops, <laughs> should say. <laughs> um, yeah. And, uh, and other times it means that I am, um, I'm actually going into a room and devising with actors. It's just whatever's best for the individual project. So um, I try not to, to define myself one one thing or the other. Yeah. And with that that sort of thing, what I also meant about the idea of a project is that idea of you going right, okay, the wrestling show, for example, I'm going to become. A wrestler, yeah. bullet catch. You've taught yourself to become a magician, yeah. and I know you've got some really exciting other formal projects that are on the horizon. Yeah. There's similar things. Yeah. What makes you think right? I know what. What? Yeah. How does? Or what point is you talk about serving the idea? Uh-huh. Where does it? Where does that idea come well, from? Well, I, I wrote a play. I, I've loved professional wrestling since I was a wee boy, and it's never gone away from me. So I thought I'll write a. I'll write a standard play about wrestling, um, and about the issues around wrestling. And I wrote a play. Um, under the mentorship of Douglas Maxwell um, for the playwright in the Playwright Studio Scotland mentoring scheme, um, and I think it's a it's a it's a good piece of work to play, but it never quite got to the heart of of my passion for wrestling, and it wasn't the best way to serve that idea. So then I thought, well, what's a bit be- what's a better way to get into it? And that's and the, I think the only way you can understand something sometimes is by just diving headfirst into it and doing it and experiencing what it is to be a wrestler. Um, it's a it's a medium that you cannot well you can write about it but you it, you don't serve it properly by not experiencing it as well so that's why I chose to do that. It's really exciting that you have such a sort of a tangible commitment to the idea in your head. A lot of writers, some projects that you might do will go, okay, I just need to learn lots about it mm. or try and articulate it. Sometimes through the sometimes of that. that's enough if you're writing about. Um, 
a, I don't know, a phenomenon like and, and like um, trolling on the internet. If you're writing about that, you, you you do a lot of research. You maybe go online and 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 read some trollers' blogs and things like that. Um, and other projects, it's not enough just to do the research. You have to actually like the magic show. I couldn't have done research about magic. I had to learn magic for the show. So it's, it's just it, as I keep saying, it's just about serving that project in the best way possible. Sometimes that involves a lot of research. Sometimes it involves actually doing it. Um. Do you consider yourself a wrestler now? <laughs> um, no, not at all, because what they do, they do five days a week um, for, you know, they have, they have something like two weeks off a year. They travel extensively. They're committed athletes, you know, and then I would never consider myself a wrestler. I would, what I would say is that four or five days last year, um, I was a wrestler, and that was an amazing experience. Um and of course, the training period was was very difficult. But yeah, those five days were something that will never never be taken away from me. And I, I've been asked maybe if I want to do the show again. I'm, I'm actually saying no. It's, it's it was a very painful show to do. It's, what these guys do is amazing, and um, I've, I've turned down the chance to do it again because it was just so grueling. And I'm, I'm happy with the way it exists and that that project's done. And it's for me, it was a perfect experience. So that's fine. That's really thrilling. And that idea we always talk about why we love people. When we talk about why we love theatre, people often say because it just happens in the moment. Yeah. And it's there and that show is gone. Yeah, it's gone. What's really exciting what you're saying about it is that that show, that show can never happen again. It's not no. like you can't pull that out on another No, because if I it. do the show again, then I won't really be training for the first time. And the show was about my journey to training to be a wrestler. So if I do it again, I'd need to franchise it and get someone else to go through that experience and call themselves Rob Drummond, which might work because then it would add another layer to the whole reality fiction thing. Uh, if you get another actor in to pretend to be me training to be a wrestler. So, you know, it's possible, but I wouldn't do it myself. And would you would you still call it Rob Drummond? Because you'd have yeah, him as a character. It, yeah. So the it'd be like recreating would, the past. The character would still be Rob Drummond. So, But it would just be someone else who'd be going through that experience for the first time, I think. I'm not sure. There's, there's many ways you could do it. I could do it myself again, but it's just it wouldn't be the same. So there's no... I'm, I'm happy to let that be what it was. How do you do? You think with Bullet Catch that could be someone else one day could be in that. That's a different type of show because I, I, you know, I the wrestling show. I, it was very satisfying work, but I didn't. I don't know how do I put this. I didn't love every minute of it. You know, it was very serious and very painful. Bullet Catch, I enjoy doing the show, so I wouldn't expect to want anyone else to do it. I'm greedy. I just I want to do it myself. You know, it's wonderful. Bullet Catch, meeting a new person every night and um, a new assistant from the audience. Um, every show is different. I don't physically hurt myself. Well, not yet. Um, let's hope not. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's a completely different show. What's really exciting for me th about that show and about you as a writer is that you're, you are able to sort of, because there's another person in it and you have to make decisions on your feet, don't you, every night? Yeah. Well, I don't know. It assumes to us that you are because it's yeah. so live that you are almost writing, you have your narrative control continues in the moment yeah. in front of us yeah and I love that it's exciting um, I did a show called Mr Right where I got a, a, a teenager up on, from the audience every night it was a school show um, well a show for young adults and um, and that was even more improvised than this one because they gave me answers to questions about their life and they told me about their life and talked and I just love that aspect that anything could happen and of course the show is very controlled but, under, but there is room for manoeuvring that and that creates a kind of excitement in the room um, which I really enjoy so when you go back to seeing your work being performed by actors, hmm. is that difficult to suddenly go, oh, 
hang on, because you've had so... I mean, you couldn't have more control. Not only are you in it, but you're yeah. almost now adjusting yeah. the show as it goes and you're setting situations well, yeah. to I change mean, it. In Bullet Catch, I'm doing three things at once. I'm, I'm remembering lines, I'm doing magic tricks, and I'm improvising at the same time. When I watch one of my shows, all my work has already been done. Um, if I watch a standard play that I've written, and again, we don't know what standard play means these days, but, you know, a, a, well, a well-made play, a traditional um, play with um, actors and a and a fourth wall, I suppose. Um, it's different because you're sitting there much... I'm much more nervous in that situation because I have no control over the product anymore. Um, I've handed it over to director and actors, um, and while I usually trust that director and the actors, it, there's always this kind of thing of, whoa, I've got absolutely, from now on, no control over what happens on stage. So weirdly, I get m less less nervous when I'm on stage than when I'm watching. Because yeah. you're in control of that. Yeah. So then going back to that first moment... Mm. You was, was it as a, you was a, a young child <laughs> playing somewhere, I don't know. I would <laughs> love to have been watching your games that you got up to. <laughs> <laughs> Some people, I want to be part of that world. Yeah. Some people, I'd be terrified. Yeah. But yours, <laughs> I think the level of invention would be really rather <laughs> thrilling. Uh, because there's a lot of me that just wants your life to have that <laughs> choice to go, oh, do you know what? I know it's not as easy as this, but a lot of people yeah. I speak to about it like, oh, what, this week I'm going to be a wrestler. I know yeah, that yeah. undermines the hard work yeah. and the creativity that these, goes into these it. These five months, I think I'm going to yeah. kill myself and and get very bad injuries and then do a show that um, hurts me physically. Yeah, it's not quite as easy as that. Yeah, I think I, think <laughs> I, I absolutely know that. Yeah. But when did you start off your level of creativity as a young child? Was that about writing? Was that about acting? Was that about what was that? It was about? always about both. Uh, uh, Where did you, yeah, the when this I used me to trying to separate no 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 you, when I used to to no no when I used to play with my He-Man figures I always remember it wasn't it didn't seem to me the same way that other people played with them because I get annoyed when my friends would come around and their narratives wouldn't be complicated enough you know they would they'd just have He-Man and Skeletor like fighting for two minutes and then that'd be them done whereas I <laughs> seem to remember very carefully plotting out like an hour long He-Man show and um, having different rooms in the house as different. Um, uh, different um, sets and different venues and stuff for different scenes. Um, when I played with my wrestling figures, I would do whole pay-per-views, like three-hour-long pay-per-views with very carefully, meticulously laid-out matches and a narrative running through the whole thing, you know. Um, and then I would I graduated to doing magic shows for my family. Um, and, uh, you know, in the front room of my house, we'd get my grandparents in and I would do a magic show, maybe last um, half an hour to an hour. You know, it wasn't... I was. I always took it very seriously, and I, d I used to make up game shows as well. I seem to remember from my family, where I would be the game show host, and they would be contestants on my game shows. So yeah, from a young age, I was very concerned with narrative, without really knowing what I was doing. Just kind of instinctively wanted to there to be a very complicated narrative to everything. I love the idea of the of, the, of you as the game show. Yeah, still with a creating a narrative, but oh, that's definitely that a future show. Is it? Is yeah, that the, the next one. I definitely want to do a game show with an audience. That, I think that would be great. A kind of creepy game show, where you think where you go in and it's first of all it's just a quite an, a normal game show, a quite cheesy game show, and then slowly it becomes a bit more sinister. I don't, I've not got that worked out yet, but it's definitely in in my mind somewhere to do something like that. <laughs> I want to see that show. <laughs> well, well, Hamish, you've got the power to make it if you want to if you want to join me in that one. <laughs> Do you see yourself? Do you see you as a writer that there's a you have a role, like a role in society, something that you because there's something really brilliant that you the experience when you talk to me about the experience that you give audiences when you talk about mm -hmm. I think the audience came with me on this bit they didn't come yeah. with me on this bit yeah I think it's important that your show um, and I'm not a, 
I think I was going to say I'm not a, a, a political writer, but I think it's impossible not to be really. I'm not overtly, I'm not, I'm not overtly political writer, but I think it's important that you make a show that the world is a better place for having, for having that show in it. Um, I think if you made a show that makes that leaves the audience feeling, um, feeling hopeless, you got to que really question why you've done that, and that doesn't mean you can't do that, and for the for the for that to have a place in in, in art, but. I always look at it as, as when the audience leaves, I hope that they feel like they've, the world's a bit of, t even a tiny bit of a better place, that they've got 1% more um, hope or, or, or whatever it is I'm, I'm trying to give them. There's 1% more of that. And I'm not, I'm not I'm unrealistic. I don't think I'm going to change the world with my work, but I just, even if you just change one person, then that's, that's enough. I always... That's exciting, but you always want them to leave with an, an optimistic moment rather than having... Because you could have a hopeless show that yeah. makes us see how bad something is and then makes yeah. the world, changes the world. Uh -huh. well, makes no, the world different, but you well, want to leave with a little... To go through enough of a journey that we come around with yeah, enough of a smile on our face catharsis. at the end. It doesn't mean that you have to... It has to be an overly positive show and saying the world is perfect. But, it, but most of my shows, I try and investigate very dark things. But always, I'm always striving to maybe in myself to find the the light in that darkness and so it's very important to me that that the final kind of message of the show is not one of hopelessness and despair because why have I made that show for me other people that's fine make those shows if you know why you're doing it fine but for me that's not I don't want to make those shows I think the next show I do is possibly going to be something like called joy and maybe you know Andy Kaufman did a show where he just invited an audience into this um, massive auditorium and and just gave them uh, sing-alongs and dancers and nothing about it was cynical everything was joyous and then he took them for milk and, co and cookies across the road every single audience member I love the idea of doing something like that at some point <laughs> but I don't know what that is yet something about so there is something quite direct about the way you co you communicate with an audience through your work, isn't there? Well, yeah, in, my, in the in the shows that I tend to perform, and I uh, there's very rarely not um, direct address. Um, I just when I'm playing myself on stage, I think direct address is is my natural default setting, of and I feel most comfortable doing that. But the way that change happens, where you talk about bringing about change, does feel quite quite immediate, yeah, and quite directed. If you know what I mean, rather than just the way you. You know, you could do direct address with it being sort of subverted. Yeah. That level of journey. But what I love about some of your work is about it's with us now. Yeah, you're, we're here now. We're all the same. We're all together. We're all experiencing this at exactly the same time. A, a, a phrase I put into every play I write is we are all the same. I try and shoehorn it in somewhere um, as a kind of motif. <laughs> I don't know if anyone notices that. It doesn't matter if they do or I they don't. I wish I noticed that. Wouldn't that have been brilliant? It ma doesn't matter if you do or don't. It's just a phrase that I try and get into most of my work. I think that's my most, um, the most important thing to me is the fact that really we're all the same and why are, we, why are we fighting against each other when we're all just exactly the same, experiencing the same things in different ways? Bit of a hippie, Amina. <laughs> <laughs> so then do you see yourself, is that, that's really, especially, sorry to keep talking about the work that you're in, but there's something... That's fine, yeah, that, that seems to be more prevalent at the moment. I, I, I have got plays written that, that it's just, at the moment, this strand of my life is taking off, so it's fine to, of course, talk about that, yeah. Let's talk about the two differences, the way that you actually create the work, those two mm -hmm. different ways. Yep. So when you're writing that the play, the yep. play that you, without you in it, yep. your day, how does it work? Um, I get up when I'm not tired anymore. 
which is something I'm pioneering. Um, <laughs> so whenever I'm ready to get up, I get up, and then I um, have usually a meal, which is usually lunch, to be honest. Um, and then I write for three to four hours in the afternoon. If it's going well, I continue writing into the evening or whenever. It changes every day. Some days I'll get up at nine and I'll, I'll write for four hours and then write into the afternoon. But usually it's sort of lunch t- uh, lunchtime into evening. Um, and I just write until I no longer feel like writing. I, I think it's, I think um, I've tried in the past to say I'm going to get up at nine and do three hours in the morning, then have a lunch and then do three hours in the afternoon. And when I'm just purely working on my own and writing a play that doesn't work for me it's just got to be write as long as you can and if one day I can only write for one hour and I don't feel like anymore that's how much I do that day um, it's different if you're working with other people because you need to have a structure when and when you're in a room with other people you need to have a structure to it but writing alone I don't tend to have that and when you're working on a device show that you're in uh-huh. these solo shows yeah do you do you do a bit of an actual sit down writing first or do you just make it as you go I think um the first thing I do is I research the topic um, and that can just be, again, me in a room reading stuff off the internet and, and I collate notes into a notebook and um, or on my phone. I digitally write notes on my phone. And then after about a week or two weeks of that, um, which includes not actually doing any physical work but walking around with the idea in your head in the real world. So um, I, don't, I don't think I'm not working when I've got an idea in my head. I think, like, if, if I, even if I go to the cinema one day, then I come out of the film and I will have had an idea for the film. Something you dream an idea for it, so you're always working. You always have this idea in your head, and then after that period where you've got you've collated all those different notes, yeah, you bring them all together and and try and write a structure for the show, very loose structure, and then you start working on the individual sections of it. And usually that's a solitary process, but. Th- but more recently, I've been bringing more people into that. So I'd maybe bring a dramaturg in at one point, uh, just one of my friends to have a go at um, talking to them about it. The most important process for me is just talking to someone about the, sh- about the show. They might say nothing back to me, but to have the opportunity after weeks on your own trying to come up with a concept to just speak to someone, um, then you can get a better idea of what show you're trying to make just by talking at someone. So it's... Yeah. To articulate it, I have yeah. that as a director, I feel the need to say it out loud. Say so it out loud, yeah. Uh-huh. I always think that as writers, you make me feel like a, you make me feel a lot better telling me that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, you do that as no, well. No, yeah, you just do that. You, you, the bottom line is, you live with the idea for a few weeks, you make notes, and then you talk to someone about it, and um, and after that, you can start making the thing. When you when you yourself know why you're trying to make it, that's the most important thing. You can't start making something unless you know why you're trying to make it and why the world's a better place for having it. So are there some ideas that come into your head and you go, within a very short amount of time, I know why I'm making it, I know why the world's a better place, but some ideas come in and I go... Yeah, some ideas come in fully formed and you could just, you know that it would just take a week to write that show. Um, and other ideas... You're able to be that practical, because you do have a really good, because of your experience as a director and as a writer yeah. and as an actor, you have a very practical way of, whenever you talk about your work, you seem to know... I know, I know the time scale. When, yeah, when an idea comes into my head, I know exactly how long it's going to take me. Um, I know what I know. What's a week show, and I know what's a two month show, and I know what's a six month show, and those are really the three t- kind of time scales I work to. Yeah. You're still pretty quite high turnaround. Yeah, it's not. I, I work very fast. I think um, that's not better or worse than anyone else's style. It's just I work fast and and I tend to just splurge and and um, and if I take longer over a project, it frustrates me. So I, I try and work as fast as I can. Why does it frustrate you? 
Um, because I'm desperate to have the thing done and, have, and it, it, it's clouding up my head. I need it out of my head. Oh, don't don't worry about that. I'm fascinated by the idea of it clouding up with your head. Well, if, the, if you've got an idea in your head, then you just, it's all consuming and you dream about it and you wake up in the middle of the night and have to write notes about it. So the sooner I get that out of my head, I feel purged. And in many ways, I don't really mind if the play ever goes on, as long as it's out my head and on paper, you know. And if it goes on, brilliant. If it doesn't, I think it's still valid and it still exists. Even if it's never seen or read by anyone, it still exists. And in my head, that's real enough, so I don't mind if it never goes on. I mean, yeah, the act of writing or creating a piece of work, of writing something, mm. putting your heart into it is something that I admire more than anything else. And I think it's such a difficult thing for anyone to do. You know, we're very lucky here to get so many unsolicited scripts and just the mm. act that someone has written a play to me yeah. without any sort of condescension is such an achievement. Yeah, I it's great just it, seeing words on, on papers, a hundred sheets of paper with words on them. Like that's, that's, enu- that's almost enough for me to have done that. And um, if people put it on, brilliant. If they don't, I'm still happy that that's out there. So before it's out there, when you're fighting with it in your head, how yeah. does that affect? Are you good at? Are you good company? Uh, yes, because I seek out company when I've got this to, so I can stop thinking about the play I'm doing. You know, so distraction. The, the, the distraction. The only way I can stop thinking about it is if I seek out company, and you know, and and chat about com- something completely different than theatre. Um, yeah, but I find it very when I'm on yeah when I'm on my own with an idea, I find it very frustrating. And I second guess everything, and I kind of get stressed about it. Um, what do you mean by second guess? Isn't you trying so to like every out? everything, every decision I've made, and every note I've made, I second guess whether that's right or wrong, and end up having little debates. And I think it's a bit quite a maddening process, you know, when you're constantly questioning whether or not the idea is good or whether or not the way you're approaching it's right. But I think that level of self scrutiny actually makes it better in the end, you know. So it makes it, it's a rigorous process. It's very way, rigorous, it? yeah, yeah. Well, what's really exciting there is it, for me is hearing you talk about the fact that you, the difficulty you have when you're on your own, you're fighting that idea. Yeah. And then but you also seek people, so you've got that social element, yeah. which is almost especially again with the shows that you're in, seems to be what's going on because you're alone up there, you're yeah, yeah. taking us through a story, but then it's about the people. Yeah. I think yeah, there's a constant conflict in my life between Thinking, oh, I'm quite a solitary person. You know, I enjoy my own company, and I'm I'm, I'm quite a, a I'm a, quite a loner. And then going, well, no, you're not really, Rob, because you love the company of other people. So there's a there's this conflict between enjoying my so- my solitude, but also needing other people. Um, and I don't think that's unique in me. I think that's a lot of people feel that way as well. Yeah. I think, but that's interestingly a conflict that makes your work approachable when you're on stage, because as you say, you say yourself, we're all the same. Yeah. And it feels like that drive is what is in your work. Yeah, and I think if you're up on stage trying to make an enemy of the audience, that's a style of work. It's fine. It should exist. It's not my style. I don't. I don't understand that. I. I. I don't want to attack the audience, and I don't. I think if you get nervous when you're on stage, it's sometimes because you're thinking they're out to get me. The audience are going to hate this. They're going to. They don't want to like this. Why? The, the audience have turned up in order to like the play. They want, they're invested in liking it. So if you think about that when you're on stage, then it, on, it instantly takes away a lot of nerves because everyone in that room wants to have a good experience. So if everyone wants it, why can't it happen? You know, <laughs> and, <laughs> Critical and, you know, mass. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And a lot, a lot of actors and, and performers go on stage really worried that the audience are going to hate them. But that's not what they're there for, so you shouldn't worry about that. <laughs> I think we can all take that. I can take that away from my life today a little bit. Yeah, I feel yeah. like a better person when I go into a, yeah. a crowded room. Everyone wants to have a good experience in every situation in their life, unless they're, you know, unless they've got some sort of mental disability, which is 
another thing altogether, but everyone usually wants an experience to be good, so why can't it be? <laughs> I think they are some really brilliant <laughs> words to finish on from a man who wants to make optimistic theatre. Yeah. Rob Jarman, I cannot thank you enough for the last 20 minutes of my life. <laughs> it's a pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. Goodbye. Bye. We hope you enjoyed this podcast from the Traverse Theatre Edinburgh. For more information, please log on to www.traverse.co.uk.